Okay. Um, that was great, Jalise. Um, let me see. I've heard words are right up here because I always forget them as soon as I... Yes. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open my eyes in wonder and show me who you are. Isn't that great? That's who we're going to be talking about today, this holy God, and there is none beside him. Oh, not starting out good when I'm emotional during worship, you know? Okay, but I got the things I need. I got my Bible. I got my glasses. I think I have most of my notes, so we'll see how it goes. Look, I already made somebody cry, so we're off to a great start. <laughs> Go on, buddy. Um, Okay, so uh, we are in Genesis 9 and 10. I feel like I'm kind of favoring that side of the room over there. So we're just going to move this over a little bit because um, we don't want to play favorites. <laughs> I know. Okay, Charlotte. I think I am closer to you now over here. Look at that. Okay, let's get that all organized before we start. Oh. Uh, I do. I will try and... Am I in the middle or not? Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll tell you, my favorites, Julia knows, is if you interact with me when I'm speaking, you go right up on my chart. So, okay. <laughs> okay. So, as I was saying, we're going to be in... Uh, boy, I almost said John. See, here we go. Genesis 9 and 10. But as I was studying this um, the last week or so, even before, but just especially the last week, really felt compelled to do a quick recap. I'll try to make it quick from the beginning of our study because I really think it will tie into what we're talking about today. <clears throat> so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The, worst, the earth was dark. It was empty, and it was chaotic. The spirit hovered over the deep, and then the sovereign God transforms chaos into creation, bringing about perfect order. Everything he created, he deemed was good. And humans were deemed very good. But the serpent, the shrewdest of all animals, is on the move. He tempts Eve to eat of the tree of knowledge that God had warned them not to eat. Actually, by using her God-given sense, right? She saw, she took, she ate. Sin entered, and with it, the first feelings of shame, deception, and there was supposed to be one more there, and it's not there. Who wants to help me with that? Shame, deception, what else entered? What was that? Alienation. Alienation. Thank you. Um, the second chaos. And this resulted in a three-part curse. Curse of animal, curse of human, and curse of the ground. Adam and Eve went on then to have two sons, Cain and Abel. We read of both taking offerings to God. One offering is accepted, the other is not. Cain became angry over his offer being rejected. Despite the Lord's warnings to master his sin, Cain kills Abel. 
destroys creation. There's evil, darkness, and pain. The Lord curses Cain and banishes from his homeland, but in grace, he protects his life. It's getting worse. Evil and sin continue to spread. Who can forget that creepy guy? Anybody remember the creepy guy? Lamech, that dude. He sings a little taunt song, right, about how bad he is. Evil, destroyer of creation, and he's very proud of it. But this chapter also ends with a ray of hope, a token of grace. A remnant seems to remain and worship the Lord by name. Not all is chaos and evil. As we continue with the genealogies of Adam, we see more of a downward movement now with the theme of death. And he died appears eight times. This section begins with the reiteration of the creation in harmony, but in the genealogy, the blessing that began the race is covered with death notices. With the exception of who? Enoch and Noah's birth, right? And Noah's birth came as a comfort from the curse. The people began to multiply on the earth, and the evaluation of God reflects the opposition of creation. There in creation, everything was good, but here he saw the intent of the human plans. They were only evil continually. He regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him deeply. <clears throat> now the spirit would no longer shield the human race, let alone hover over it. The observation of God, the withdrawal of the spirit, and the evil of the human race together introduce the theme of uncreation in this next section. The only bright spot, as we will see, is that the remnant found grace. So in chapter 7, we have Noah, who found favor in the eyes of the Lord. He builds the ark according to God's instructions. We then see the flood return the earth to the original chaos. The floodwaters increased, they rose. That word means or expresses triumph as in battle. High above the earth they prevailed until they covered the highest mountain, rising more than 22 feet above the highest peaks. The terrible chaotic waters, which originally covered the earth, are likened to warriors attacking and undoing God's creation, chaos, and destruction. I want to sit there just for a minute. Uh, we had a nice rainy day earlier that God provided to tell this story, but I don't know if you, as Lisa went over the flood story, how many of you just really sat in wondering what that was like. Um, <clears throat> I did, and we can't even hardly imagine, because the worst flood that I've ever been involved with myself, I think, was in February of 1986, I believe. Anybody else? Yeah? That was a bad year? Okay. We were fine because we lived on a hill, but my grandma and other family and friends weren't so lucky and had water come through their house and made disaster of their yard and house. 
but none of them really feared for their life. I mean, the water came up to a foot or two um, and just did a lot of destruction. And then recently, during the Olympics this summer, I don't know if any of you watched them, but because it was in Japan, they were doing um, kind of documentaries on the tsunami that, that came through. And I had forgotten, you know, how destructive. And like, seriously, when you're watching the video, it's as if you're watching some little movie with toys, the way the water just came and, and caused such destruction and devastation in that country. But even then, the whole entire country was not affected by it. Um, maybe affected the ripples, but not so much by the water. And that was really, wow. And look at how that went, you know. But anyway, um, but all that to say, and we have seen on the news terrible flooding and destruction. I think of Hurricane Katrina and people losing their lives and their houses. And, and so we do can have a, a little bit of a picture of what this water and this destruction does. And what I always think of is the aftermath, you know, it's like, Wow, the cleanup and, and seeing those pictures of, well, like, where would you even start? And um, even on uh, the program, the, watching the Olympics, one of the, the documentaries I saw was showing how places where it had hit and maybe one tree had, had been standing, and otherwise it's just, everything's just wiped out, you know? So even years and years later, the destruction's still there. So it had, you know, those things had me wondering, what was it like when Noah got off the ark? We read in verse 21, all the living things, this is chapter seven, on the earth died, birds, domestic animals, wild animals, small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the people, everything that lived and breathed on dry land died. God wiped out every living thing on the earth, people, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and the birds of the sky. All were destroyed. The only people who survived were Noah and those with him in the boat, and the floodwaters covered the earth. <clears throat> God then made a wind blow over the earth. The floodwaters subsided. Land appeared, things began to grow, new creation appeared, recreation. After being in the ark for 370 days, Noah, called the second Adam, ex exits the ark, and his first act, of act was what? build an altar, worship God in sacrifice. Um, <clears throat> So, Lisa brought that about so nicely a couple weeks ago, and that brings us to chapter 9, where we see the recreation theme continued from the previous chapter, and the order continues to be established out of the chaos that we just talked about. So in verse 1, it says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That parallels back to Genesis 1.27, where God created man in his image and told them to be fruitful and multiply. This recreation. A new beginning, but one that requires a covenant. God then makes a covenant with Noah, a covenant of grace 
in which the Lord promised never again to judge the world with such a flood. He then seals the covenant with a sign. So we read in verse 12, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living, living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of the flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So as we look at this story together and kind of glance back to chapter 7, where we read that the flood waters rose, we can picture him triumphantly winning the battle of uncreation, undoing what God had created. And the terrible chaotic waters, which originally covered the earth, like warriors attacking and undoing God's creation. A battle was going on. In effect, by bringing the flood, God made war on humanity. Then the sovereign God makes a covenant of grace, and he seals it with a sign, a bow in the sky. God says, I am now putting down my weapon of war. What a picture of God hanging up his battle bow as a sign of peace. The rainbow, I was kind of hoping we got one today, arches over all creation after the rains as a sign of God's faithfulness, his redemption, and grace. God's covenant turns his judgment into grace. Um, I think we'll just move along. The next account we read is a quirky little story about Noah planting a vineyard. (laughs) And evidently, he partook too much of the fruit of his labor. (laughs) Goes downhill from resulting in a curse on his grandson Canaan instead of the blessing And now the blessing focuses on Shem and Japheth. In chapter 10 and 11, we see a couple more accounts of people disobeying God and chaos, disunity, and destruction once again take place. If we hop to 11, which is borrowing from next week, but we end this portion of Genesis, chapters 1 through 11, with a genealogy that forms a transition, narrowing the line of Shem down to Abram. And this theme will now switch from dispersion and chaos to the beginning of God's program to restore blessing. So Yahoo, we get to go into the blessing mode when we get back from from our uh, winter winter break. Won't that be great? Yeah. Um, So that's kind of the over... Uh, view of 1 through 11, really, and the chaos versus the creation, evil versus good. What we see in this is God is in control of chaos. 
He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And he controls the chaos. So starting back in the beginning, we see God turn chaos or darkness into a beautiful creation. We then see chaos enter the garden through temptation and sin, bringing the shame, fear, and deception. Um, Chaos continues as God's creation is destroyed through violence and murder. We then see God once again use chaos, the floodwaters, to bring judgment on the wicked. And then recreation begins out of the chaos once again. Looking ahead to the New Testament, um, the Apostle John opens up his story of Jesus' life. Remember, any of you who were in uh, Nurture last year, we did the book of John, which was amazing. And here we are again. We actually uh, tied that, of course, with Genesis 1 last year. So here we are now looking back. Or uh, The Apostle John opens up his story of Jesus' life by connecting him to the creation story. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus, the Word, would come to re-enter a dark, sin-filled, chaotic world, and that were word would bring life and light once more. We see Jesus do this throughout his ministry, undoing the chaos and darkness left by sin. So that's a beautiful story to me of the picture of God in control of the chaos. And I'm going to switch just a little bit. It sounds a little bit as I'm reading it, a little tough switch here, but we're going to talk about rainbows for a minute. So rainbows often indicate that the rain has passed. Generally, it will be sunny when you see a rainbow, but rain clouds will just be off a short distance away. Undoing the, uh, it is the clouds that bring the rain. Uh, We had rain today, um, and we were talking earlier, it really does seem like the clouds that create the rain that creates the rainbow when the light shines through are those big dark clouds you know um and so i don't know that's just interesting to me i haven't really studied that real deep but the fact that really we have clouds before the rainbow comes um just as in the flood you know, they had the chaos and the tragedy of what the waters brought, and then God um, made this sign, gave this sign of his covenant that he would never do that again. And so every time we see a rainbow, we can be reminded that God is in control of our chaos. So it is in our lives, right? Many of us have experienced the dark clouds gloomy days, devastating tragedy, loss, grief, physical pain, or illness. We may have cried a prayer like this. Save me, 
O God, for the floodwaters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. I am in deep water, and the floods overwhelm me. I am exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. We know this was David's cry for help in Psalm 69. But it, I think pretty much anybody in this room that is not a baby has experienced this cry for help at one time or another in your life. And um, I thought it was interesting. I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable right now. But I thought it was interesting a couple weeks ago uh, before we were going to pick a, choose a psalm uh, to study. I had read Psalm 69 and kind of went through the sequence of that song and how we can study it and see David's different emotions in that psalm. Little did I know that that would be my theme song for the next couple weeks. So I'm not going to go into detail, but I cried. I have cried that a couple times. Um, and this I know. The Lord rules over the floodwaters. The Lord reigns as king forever. The Lord gives his people strength, and the Lord blesses them with peace. And I didn't want to let it end on that note, but I ran out of time last night. So, uh, But I think it's a good place. That was Psalms 29, I think, verse 10 and 11, the last bit that I, I read. And I think that's a good uh, place. Um, I do have a little bit more time, so I am going to also read one more psalm. Um, this is a psalm, so we have seen God big and awesome through what we've talked about today, controlling this chaotic state, the world, our troubles. Um, and so we've seen that side of God, the sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing God. But I want to bring it down a little bit um, to how personal our God is to us. And so when we cry out, save me from the floodwaters, this is who also we're crying to. If any of you have known me for any length of time, you know where I'm going. Psalms 139, Robin. <clears throat> oh Lord, you have examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down or when I stand up. Okay. <clears throat> you know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there 
Your hand will guide me, and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in other seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. That's the God that we can cry out to. He knows what's coming before. He comes behind us, and right now he has our, his hand on our shoulder. So I'm going to just close with prayer. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to um, read your word, to learn about you, to see how awesome you are, and to be reminded of that. And still today, years and years and years later, when we see a rainbow, we can be reminded of the chaos that you control. Um, Lord, I don't know what each person is going through here today, um, but I know that there are hurts, there is pain, there is grief, there is loss. Some have gone through tragedy and I just ask you, Lord, to comfort them, to um, listen to their cry of pain. And I'm so, so thankful that you so intimately care for each one of us that we then can realize you see us when we sit, when we stand. You know everything that is going on in our life. And I thank you for that. And I thank you for being so close and so available to us. You are an awesome God, and we love you. In your name, amen.